So I slowly learned really important things like faith and fear cannot coexist. And I would breathe in, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. I would breathe in faith, let go fear. Like I just would be intentional all day, every day. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story from Statesboro, Georgia, by Hope Aldred, and she shares a really raw and vulnerable story of walking her husband through addiction. She does, but she does such a beautiful job of honoring her husband and the marriage that she had before his battle with addiction. Her story a lot is about letting go of fear and breathing in faith. That's why we titled it that. And I think it's going to encourage you just to to sit and trust God and let go of control, sometimes with those you love that you don't have control over. Before Hope's story, we do want to remind you, we would love to have you with us over on Patreon. Become a Patreon insider. You will receive extra content like bonus stories. We do a continue the conversation with me and Katie and Robin. And then you'll also get stories within the stories or where are they now, along with Katie's audio devotions on different topics throughout the year. So come on over and join us. You can scroll down in our show notes and click the link, or you can go to storytellerslive.org. Here's Hope. First of all, I'm very, very thankful to have an opportunity to share some of my story on this podcast platform, because I often get asked to share my story. I don't always have the opportunity to really share the real reason that I'm still standing. And that's because of my faith. It's because of my Heavenly Father and um, because of my relationship with Jesus. So um, I'm real thankful that I get to do uh, that. My prayer really is that God gets all the glory because I remember I used to work at a church and, and you'll hear maybe a little bit about that. But when I at vacation, my last vacation Bible school that I led, they gave me this beautiful platter and it had it was one of those painted platters and it had all fingerprints of the children. And um, I just, it was a visual for me of just about fingerprints. And I I just think if you hear anything hopeful that just remember that that's God's fingerprints on me in my life. Um, and I just, I don't believe I would be here with you today sharing the story if it, if it weren't for that. So in an attempt to stay on track and not go down a million squirrel sighting trails, because I'm quite capable of doing that. I tried to break down my story a little bit in chronological order, give or take. And kind of sharing it along the lines of four, never will us, because for anybody that's out there, and I bet we have a lot of mothers listening or that will listen to this and like in between M-O-T and H-E-R are the words guilt and never will I. Just join me in that. And then also two, four scriptures that have been really cornerstones in my life. Um, And hopefully you'll hear a great love story um, along the way. Um, so I'll start with my first never. My full name when I was born was Stephanie Hope Potter. Um, and I swear I would never name my children uh, with their middle name because on the first day of school every year, it would be like, Stephanie, Stephanie, and all the giggles would come out. And it'd be like, oh, two sons, they're 18 and 20, and you're going to hear about them, definitely, because that's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, and their names are Walter Parrish Aldred and William Porter Aldred, and they both go by their middle names. So first never is that. But the reason I brought that up is because um, I was recently asked about my name, you know, if I thought my life would look different, um, if my name wasn't Hope. And they said, what does it feel like to have a name like Hope? And to be honest, maybe somebody has asked me that. I don't know. I did remember something when I asked that question. But my answer to, do you think your life would be different if that wasn't your name? And my answer was 
I certainly hope not. I mean, I hope still as if I was a Sally, I would still bring hope, you know, in the world. But anyway, um, but it made me think about when I was a senior in high school and some people might, I don't even know if they still do this or not, but there was a discipleship study and we did it. And I remember at the end having the youth pastor pray over me. And I remember him and I had no recollection of this memory till I asked that question. And he prayed over me about my name and about how God would use me and my name to bring hope into the world. Now, for anybody who's been through tough stuff, I'm sure y'all can relate to, I would have appreciated for it to be a cute little fluffier story than some of the hope things that I've had to learn to bring hope to others. But so I do think that, and this, you know, one of the reasons that I'm really, really honored to share this is because if this brings back anyone from a state of hopelessness, just for a little bit of an inch of, just a tiny smidge, I can tell you, I have been in the pits of despair. I can tell you that I have felt hopelessness. I have felt dark. I have not been able to even feel the love of God or the people around me just because I was so numb. If that's the case, my storytelling would be worth it today. Something that's really important for me to share is I have always felt God's love. For that, I know that is not the case for everyone. I know people have struggled with it. That is one thing that has been a constant in my life. I've always felt God's love. Um, I grew up, I was the middle child, still am the middle child. And my parents got divorced when I was in second grade. And um, if my memory serves me right, it was when I was in first grade that my dad started traveling for work. He may have already done that before, but that was when our life really shifted. He, for really, not to mince any words, abandoned our family. He decided to follow around tent revivals. So, you know, a really extreme charismatic form of Christianity. And if that's what you do, that is certainly um, honorable, but it's not honorable when you abandon your family too. The one story I remember is that one of the first things he did is he dropped his Rolex into an offering plate in some Alabama. We lived in Georgia at the time and some Alabama tent revivals. So I don't know who has that Rolex now, but um, I hope that they hear this one day. Uh, But anyway, I don't think my mother was very happy about that. that. But one of the things that's really important for me to share about that, because I think it's important about my story, is that this father, when that extreme kind of conversion happened. There were some good, good times in there too. He was actually, he taught um, a high school, Sunday school class, and he was very well loved and sought of. So it was kind of an, it went from him just being a hunter and a beer drinker working in the yard to, okay, I want to do church to, you know, the abandonment. So it wasn't an overnight thing, but it is important because my sister had epilepsy. She's had brain surgery and she hasn't had a seizure in many years. So she's doing great now, but she had grandma seizures almost on a daily basis. And that turned into, she's possessed with demons. Uh, Medicine would be flushed down the toilet. Our records would be broken at home. My first album was Dolly Parton. Here you come again. I was not happy about that album getting broken, but uh, I can listen to it anytime I want now. Um, But anyway, but that it was, it's very important for me to share that because just God's just constant, just hedge of protection over me. I can't speak for my sister and brother. They have very different experiences, but but for me, I'm just really grateful for that. We were blessed with really, really, really great, amazing grandparents. So we had some constants in our life, but back to my, my dad, one of the, the first scripture I want to share with you, he would make us, he would really force us to memorize scripture. It wasn't that cute thing like, oh, let's, 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 have some cute memory cards. It was, it was, it was pretty intense. But I remember my first one was let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And somehow that verse is literally just in the fibers of my being. I love that verse. And it just, it truly has carried me. I haven't always believed it. Okay. But I could say it. I have not always believed to trust in God and trust also in me. And my heart has been troubled 
probably more days than not. <laughs> so, but I just want to point that out that just, you know, I just don't think God wastes anything. And that's a really important scripture to me. I mean, in addition to having great grandparents, I, my mother did remarry some years later. I had a, my stepfather loved me dearly. And then I had a couple spiritual fathers, my pastor growing up, Carter Berkeley, who's, who's gone on to be with Jesus now. And then the, another pastor who um, ended up baptizing both my children and married us, Don Adams. These were just spiritual fathers in my life. And I just loved them and they poured into me. So I've always felt, you know, the, the love of God. That kind of gives you a little bit of my background um, on childhood, uh, growing up. I was actually the only one in my family later on that went to church. I remember when I turned 16, I'd be really excited that I could drive myself to church. My family didn't turn away from church. They just didn't go. I just remember that. So my faith has always been very, very important to me. In August of 22, I was going to a storyteller's um, workshop with Bob Goff, who so I'm sure a lot of people love Bob if they listen to this. Actually, he his book, Love Does, changed my life. Um, in chapter one, it says, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. And that was huge for me. Um, and I'll get a little bit more into that. So it was just like one of those, how did God favor me so much that I landed in this? But anyway, I went to a storyteller's workshop. And as I was packing, I was looking for some journals. And I found something um, that I had forgotten that I'd written to my high school sweetheart. And I really want to talk a lot about Walt in my story today and give him, give because that's a really, really big part of my story. It was written for our 10-year wedding anniversary. I had forgotten I had written this. The goal was, it was actually inspired by the notebook. All, if there's a bunch of every lady on this going to hear this is going to remember the notebook because we all want that to happen, right? So anyway, but I was like, oh, I can do that. Um, I had completely forgotten I had written it and I found it just a few days before what would have been our 25th wedding anniversary. And I'm just so thankful for it. Anyway, but the goal was I was going to do it. And every 10 years I was going to add to it and it was going to be a gift to our children on our 50th wedding anniversary. That was that was my dream. We only made it to 18 and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about that. But I just think it's really, really important for us to just remember God's timing is always just perfect. It's so frustrating. God's timing is so frustrating, but it is always just really, really perfect. And so I found that. So I'm about to share two spoiler alerts for you, two, two more of my nevers that I want you to know about. I actually swore that when I graduated from high school in Statesboro, Georgia, I would never come back to Statesboro and I would never date Walt again. So I just need you to know you're about to find out those are two numbers. I broke those two. So, but my goal was to leave Statesboro. I was going off to college. I went to Mercer University. I loved it. And I just wanted bigger and better things. And small town life was just not my jam, right? A very wise 18 year old. I actually am talking to you from Statesboro, Georgia today too. So there we go. All those things. But I want to share with you a couple of things about this. I'm not going to read all of it by any means. There would be no way that I could, but it's just so great. So actually the title of the first 10 years was How I Know He Lives. How I Know He Lives, which is in reference to God. He gave me Walt. I believe it was the fall of 1984 when I first remember noticing him. My best friend Beverly and I went to the Aldreds with Beverly's mom. I don't know why or for how long, but I remember him. His name was Walt. He caught my eye. We flirted as an 11 and 13 year old can do, I think. My recollection is there was a hammock and there was a cute guy that I would never forget. Now I'm going to fast forward and jump around a little bit, but then I jumped a little bit ahead and said, after a year of heartbreak in seventh grade, I love the drama, right? He liked the older girls, which is true. Hammock boy moved on to the high school and it would have been much, and it was much easier not seeing him. But then 
this would take take place strategically at the end of my eighth grade year. And I get a call from him because this was way before cell phones, ladies and gents. Can I pick you up from school? And he said, and I remember, I don't even know why my mother would have allowed that, but she did. Probably like, yeah, sure. One less kid I got to pick up from school. Anyway, fast forward, you know, in September of 1991, we dated all through high school. We broke up more than we got together. You know, it was one of those things. We shared lockers and wouldn't speak. All the drama. All the high school drama. Yeah, just his recollection was we dated all through high school. I'm like, we dated for like two days. You know, just two extreme versions of it. Uh, in September of 1991, I left for Mercer. Um, and I'll never forget sitting in my car, saying goodbye to him. He gave me a card and I still have that card. And, and you know, we cried. And then this is just so good. Like, I just remember like thinking about this now, but I'll never forget driving off. And I had a red convertible, of course, because, you know, that's what you do in the early 90s with really long bleached blonde hair from South Georgia. And the song I, I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton came on and, you know, just cue in drama and play the song. Anyway, but that was true. I knew that. I knew I would always love him, but I had no intentions of ever dating him again. Now, I'm going to fast forward to 1996. Okay. So fall of 1996, we're at a Georgia, Florida game with his family. And uh, and there's a plane. We started dating again. There's there's a lot that happened in between there. But there was a plane that flies over and it says, I love you, Hope. Will you marry me, Walt? It was one of those nice little banners. And I was like, what? And everybody's saying, look at it. I thought, is that a joke? And they were like, no, he's on his knee. He's got a very pretty diamond ring. And like, do I get to keep that? So it's actually important for me to say that because poor Walt, first of all. But second of all, it says a lot about who I was at 23 years old. It was very difficult for me to receive love. I've always been very comfortable giving love. Uh, but it was very hard for me to receive gifts. It was very hard. I knew how to be a people pleaser. I knew how to take care of people. I did not know how people to do that. So anyway, long short, I did say yes. We got married in September of 1997. We literally, our picture was literally on the cover of the the, the paper, the perfect wedding, Mr. and Ms. Walt Aldred. I mean, it's really just kind of, it's like almost sickening how amazing perfect our life or our life was. But I want to get back to, so I can get more into the story, um, as I closed out writing this 10-year anniversary gift for him, I wrote, today on our 10th anniversary, we have two happy, healthy, cotton-top boys. Both of our boys just had snow white hair, just beautiful kids. Even though it has drained us of many of our freedoms that to build our relationships like the, the early days. And then I go on to talk about um, how our life isn't perfect, but I have Walt and two healthy, smart, funny, sensitive boys. I talk about how we have our church and the church family that offers, not to mention lightly, our faith. We have a dream house. And it goes on to say, how do I know God lives? I know he gave me you, my perfect match, my strength, the one who calls me a spade when I'm a spade, a godly man that isn't afraid of my ministry and calling to serve God. I was very involved in the women's ministry um, and also, too, was the director of children's ministries at our church at that time. And he just was a great support. And um, I ended with saying, thank you for being you and sharing you with me and loving me with your whole heart. I've questioned many things in the last 10 years, but his commitment and love has never been questioned in my heart. So that's uh, the story. And it's I'm so glad I found that. I mean, I'm sure I would have eventually. So I'm sure my kids are so interested in reading my sappy stuff. So. I just wanted to give you that because that was the first 10 years of our marriage. And it's really, really important. We were so involved in our church. If anybody's familiar with something called Walk to Emmaus, we sponsored lots of people. We served. We taught 
Sunday school. He was a late liturgist. We were in a Methodist church. It, it just was, it was beautiful. Some things changed for us, you know, around our year 12, year 12, I think, maybe even 11. I found myself um, pretty emotionally, spiritually depleted. I couldn't put my finger on it. Some things were shifting with Walt. I was a little bit concerned about his drinking. He would always take things a little bit too far and too fun. And then I became kind of the stick in the mud and the controlling one. I didn't know a lot of things were going on around that same time. I just remember my biological father passed away. Um, We did not have contact for a long time, but we were on good terms. I mean, we just didn't have a relationship, but I certainly went to his funeral. I remember very vividly, and this was a plot twist for me a little bit, was when I remember coming down to go to my... Um, to the funeral. And it was the day after the national championship football game. And it's always on a Monday night. And by the way, it wasn't after the Georgia Bulldogs won two back to back, but whoever won, it doesn't matter because it wasn't the dogs. But I just remember getting the boys ready for, for school and daddy's passed out, you know, sleep on the playroom sofa. And I told them, shh, don't wake up daddy, you know, and they wanted to know who won. And I just told them, you know, no, don't wake up daddy. And that was pretty much my normal you know, do all things, keep the peace, keep things quiet, keep things controlled, you know, don't ask for help. I'm dragging a suitcase down the stairs to go to a funeral, get in their lunch boxes, don't wake up daddy, get in the car. And that that just was a pivotal moment for me because I just remember thinking, I don't think that this is normal. I had a counselor ask me, what's the difference in your t- what you're teaching ch- your children is okay and what Walt's teaching them? Because they didn't know Daddy was drunk. They just, daddy rested a lot. I started shifting my thinking and focusing on that. And I was raising to whoever married those two boys was going to kill me one day based on the way I was raising them. Um, I went to the funeral for my, for my uh, dad and we had not had any contact really. Like we had not been in each other's lives for at least 30 years. And someone spoke at his funeral. His name was Gary. I don't know who Gary is, but Gary just went on and on about what a great guy this was. And he was like this amazing dad to him. And, you know, all the things that he did for him. And my brother and I looked at each other literally simultaneously said, wow, it's good to be Gary. You know, we're like, who's Gary? But again, God just had this, I just had so much grace. I just was not angry. I wasn't bitter. I, I had my needs met and I believe my dad did the best he could do. But anyway, fast forward, arriving back at home. We've got our dream house and the kids, and I'm still trying to kind of do everything. You know, I'm still working at the church, teaching Bible study. Walt's alcoholism is progressing. But in addition to that, um, he had two hip surgeries. So now opiates arrived in our life. I have a brother who's an addict and alcoholic, and he was an opiate addict too. And that I, I knew what could happen, but that was truly, if you just, if I could visualize dominoes, that was just the domino effect of our life. I got sicker. Um, he got sicker. Um, I started trying to control more and more. He did. We would go to marriage counselors. We would get fired. We'd get fired from all of them just because they were like, do y'all even live together? Our, our versions were very different. I was so desperate for help. We went to a marriage conference, a faith-based one in North Carolina that was life-changing for me. It was there that I learned that about the scripture, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And this lovely, lovely, lovely preacher's wife said, um, if you're doing that, you're treating your neighbors like crap. And I was like, well, that's rude. And she was like, no, look at you. And she was right. I was I was depleted. I was very sick emotionally, spiritually, um, and physically. So it was some things like that. Another um, spiritual mentor in my life said, what do you want and what do you need? And I was like, I don't even know if I want like 
I don't know what I want for lunch, much less what I want and need. And she said, hope along the line, someone you believe the lie that you were put here on earth for everybody else's needs and you don't have any. And these were godly women in my life that were speaking truth I needed to hear because that sounded like that did not sound very Christ-like. I am a Southern Christian, noble Bible study, teaching, help get, you know what I mean? You know, the WWJD bracelet. I don't know. That is what I am here for. And so those were small shifts for me, but it was really, really hard because that was my identity. Uh, my identity was definitely wrapped up in that. Um, during that season, Walt and I finally started seeing that our last ditch effort was a, um, a Jewish psychiatrist. And the reason I have to say this, he's a bald guy from New York. I still love him and it's fine. I mean, she, but I'm, I just remember I was so desperate for somebody to save me. I was like, I need someone to hear me, someone to save me. And I was depend. I remember being so dependent on, on this, this particular doctor, um, just thinking he would save me. He's going to put Walt and he's going to make Walt shape up and do right. And it was so interesting. He's still waiting on his Messiah. And I have one. I was like, I have Jesus. Like, I I don't actually need him. Like, I had all these tools. And that's when I very much remember getting a call from him. Um, and it was, a, I remember it being a private number and I answered it. And he said, hey, this is your favorite psychiatrist. And I was like, well, you're my only one. You know, it's not like I have a plethora of them. But anyway, and he asked me, he said, are you going to fight? And I remember sitting on my back porch, uh, back steps of my beautiful home and my beautiful kids are playing in the beautiful yard and a beautiful day. And I couldn't feel any of it. And he said, are you going to fight? And I was like, what do you think I'm doing? He said, no. Are you ready to do some work, Hope? And I said, OK, tell me what to do. And and he gave me some very um, good. I finally started doing the really intensive work and focusing on me and not everybody else. That weekend, I went to churches as I always did because I, I love church I've always been a church lover that was not something that I ever didn't want I loved it and the um the preacher was preaching on John 5 which is about Jesus healing a lame man by the pool and I swear I was like holy moly is my Jewish shrink and my preacher at my now non-denominational church because I've left the Methodist church because the people up there won't let me just go to church are all these people just speaking to each other and like that absolutely not but I will never forget, and I have I have my Bible right here in front of me, and I still have it highlighted about that question. Do you want to get well? Jesus talking to this guy. He's like, do you want to get well? And he's giving him all these excuses. Will people get in my way, or I can't get in the pool, or I can't do this? And I wrote on the side of my Bible that day, be done with excuses. Be done with excuses. And I was like, oh, that means I have to do the work. Okay. All right. I'm going to do the work because here I am. I am alone in my pain. I'm alone in my fight. Or I believe that lie. I believe the lie that that I am just alone. I'm exhausted. I'm I'm just miserable. Um, I'm trying to control things I can't. And I'm just praying at night and weeping. God put someone in my life that's either been in my shoes, that has been in my shoes. Like I was asking him to do all the things that were there. They were all there. And I just refused to see them or I was unable to see them. So I slowly learned really important things like faith and fear cannot coexist. And I would breathe in, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. I would breathe in, I would breathe in faith, let go fear. Like I just would be intentional all day, every day. And I would make myself exercise. Oh, I still hate exercise, but I would make myself do it. It's just like, what, isn't there a better way? But there's not. So I would make myself walk and I would make myself read and I would stop saying yes to people. 
And as I would start, um, stop justifying all my excuses. I stopped baking casseroles for people. I wasn't even cooking for my own kids, you know, like I just stopped doing um, and slowly but surely I started getting better. But during this time, and I don't have to get into all the details, Walt and I eventually separated. Um, interventions did not work. Everything I feared was going to happen, happened. He lost his job. There goes our health benefits, financial security. Our home was sold on the courthouse steps. The, the boy, I always worked, but I did not work a full-time job. So I was always able to kind of pick up the kids from school and be there. Um, I went back to work full-time. The job I was offered was, I was offered a job the exact same month, uh, helping families of alcoholics and addicts the exact same month. I was not qualified for this job, but I got sought out for it the same month that Walt lost his job. So the same month he lost his job, I got offered a full-time job with benefits. I did not know how I was going to pay for any living. Um, we um, He had cashed in everything. Everything was gone. And just final just financial destruction. My grandfather had a company I mentioned before. And uh, he had sold five years before. And just out of the blue, some money that had been held back from the um, the sale, just in case it needed for taxes, came in. And just enough for me to find a place affordable living for my children and me. So we had a place to live. Credit is hopeful. A friend co-signs a car for me that I can afford because it helped her. These were just things that just kept happening. Like just one thing after another. I went through an awful um, divorce with the support of people around me that understood alcoholism and addiction. um, And I was never alone. Now, I will move forward to some real meat here. And this is some of the hard stuff, but um, it's important to, to share is because you don't have to hear the horror story. Anybody who's been through divorce or tried to get someone sober knows the horror story. It's it's all true and it's all the same. But Walt would um Walt would get sick a lot and he would end up in the hospital and I would go um and check on him um, because I we never I never stopped loving him, but it just was irreconcilable. And I couldn't get healthy and those kids needed one healthy parent. So uh it was the June or no, July of 2017. Um I got a call, he was in the hospital, I went. They do the same spill and They do, hey, he's got to go to treatment. I'm like, yeah, I know. And they're like, do you know what treatment is? I was like, yes, I work in treatment. It's just like the whole thing again. Like I, I should have just brought a card and said, yes, I know all the things. Um, anyway, he um, he uh, asked him what he would do. And it was the first time he showed some emotion. He had a yellow tear. He was so jaundiced from his alcoholism and opiate addiction um, that he was 46 at the time. He looked 70. Um, and he, a yellow tear streamed down his face. And he said, if I go to treatment, will you tell the boys that I went to work somewhere for 30 days? And I told him, no, that I wasn't going to lie to him, but they would be so proud of him. Um, and that if he doesn't go, they're going to be sitting on the front pew of that church that we got married in, um, that they were baptized in, that his grandfather was the architect of a church that we loved. And his response to that was, but then they would not have to know. Shame, shame is just the cornerstone of the disease of isolation. I mean, of alcoholism and addiction. It's isolating. It's a disease of feelings and shame just kills people on the daily. So anyway, a year passed before before um, we lost Walt. And I'm going to tell you that story as I close out. But I want to tell you a few things that are really important because I just think the body of Christ is just so important. Like, I just think it's the one thing that I didn't want near me a lot of times, but it was the one thing I wanted or needed. Um, But I will never look at it the same as I do now, as I witnessed it for my sons. I've actually got chill bumps telling you this, just 
the witness, witnessing how the body of Christ showed up for, for my boys. They were 14 and 16. I got a call and bear with me. This is always a really emotional. It doesn't matter how many times I share this. It's just so emotional. Got a call Walt's in the hospital again. So I went to check on him. And this time it was pretty clear. It was not going to be a reversible. He just was not going to be able to bounce back. He was very weak. And the only thing I knew was that now, because I'd never taken the boys to see him when he was sick, but I knew they needed to tell him goodbye. And I also, too, knew that I wanted it to be the most dignified, respectful way that I could honor Walt with. And so God provided our one of our very best friends called. He said, hey, what can I do? And I said, I need a bed at hospice. I had no idea this friend was on the board at hospice. And he called me back in five minutes and said, they're getting a bed ready. I told Walt that um, I had good news and bad news. The good news was, as I was going to make sure he was comfortable and I was going to give him all the drugs he wanted. Actually, not me personally, but I was like, hey, whatever you want, you're going to get. Because I'd fought him on that for so long. And, uh, and then I said, the bad news is I've got to bring the boys to tell you goodbye. And yellow tears came down his face and just utter shame. Um, and I said, but I'm going to get you cleaned up and I'm going to get you over there. Um, we shared with the boys, I'd never told our sons, your dad is an alcoholic. And this is why we are divorced. Cause I, I always hoped that Walt would be able to tell them that story. They knew. And I would ask them often if they wanted to know things and they never did. They were 14 and 16. And, um, and we just, there's, there's no perfect way to do this for anybody that's listening. That's in these shoes or has been in these shoes. There's no perfect way. Um, we met, I had two friends come share that news with us. And it was to this day, the most awful day of my life watching my son, you know, teenage boys, you don't see cry. It was pretty horrific. I, I told them I had taken some pictures of dad so that they could see what it looked like. Cause there was no way to prepare them for what they were going to see. Um, his skin was so jaundiced. It was almost green. Uh, his hair was white. Um, by this point face was gaunt and he was never gaunt. He was, he was always a full face guy. Um, and, uh, I don't remember if they saw it or not, but anyway, we went and, I just know it was awful. I don't know any other way to describe it. We came home and that night, uh, my house filled up with all of their friends, all of their friends. It was just so beautiful. And they did what they do. They gamed, they played games. And I don't even know, probably something I wouldn't approve of, but I was like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What auto theft, whatever. I don't know. Steal cars, do whatever. Yeah. Do what you need to do. Connection. And that night, some of their friends said, hey, um, we want to go um, see Mr. Walt. They loved Mr. Walt. They had not seen him a lot lately, but Mr. Walt was fun. I was the rule. You know, you know, I was like, you spend the night at my house on Saturday night. That's fine. But bring your church clothes. You know, he was like, spend the night at our house on Saturday night. We'll stay up late and watch like TV shows. Your mom and dad don't even order pizza. And, you know, eat it in bed. And um, he was fun. And so we went up there and it just for just a moment those friends of my boys wept with my kids and they just created just a, a connection and a normalcy that there is, I, I don't know how to say it outside of just really, really, really honoring the fact that God just doesn't waste anything. Um, I hopped in the bed with their dad and the hospice beds were, you know, kind of big and their eyes got real big. And I told them, I said, oh, oh, don't worry, guys. Your dad's been trying to get me back in bed with him for years. And uh, and uh, and so they laughed. And then when we left, um, I told him we were leaving. Um, I'd be back later. And I told him I loved him. And he looked at me and he said, I love you. 
And so the last two things my children saw were their parents laughing and loving. And I'm just so thankful for that. I'm just so grateful for that. It was not under the circumstances that I would hoped of at the 50th wedding anniversary when I handed them the notebook. But yet, nevertheless, God still provided. You know, my, my grandfather's favorite scripture was, uh, I mean, book of the Bible was James. And I love James 1, 2, and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Oh, it's just so true. It's so good. So now I can tell you that I was with Walt when he took his last breath. God woke me up that morning. Um, he was supposed to, he, he, we thought he would um, be in hospice for about 10 days. His heart was young and strong, but he passed very quickly. I was with him when he took his last breath and it was horrible. I screamed for help. Um, a hospice nurse came in there. We, I, I had playing on repeat. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And I told him he could go and he looked scared. Um, but um, I'm very grateful that that I had that. I'm grateful my kids did not see that. Um, and I came home and I, I had the privilege of planning his funeral. And his funeral was um, honoring all that that he was and has left behind. And people poured into my kids and we told great stories. Um, the pastor said, you know, we're here because of a slow motion tragedy that could have been prevented. And he honored it and he encouraged people if they need help ask for help. And then he honored the Walt that he knew in those years that he knew. Um, and and uh, I'm so glad my kids had that. Um, his best friend did a eulogy that honored all the good stuff, all the fun stuff. But before he went to the funeral that day, I looked at my kids and um, I said, hey, listen, guys, today's going to suck. I said, this is what we're going to do. And I wrote, took them through the whole thing. And I said, I'm going to have to talk to a lot of people. This is where the food's going to be. Your friends are invited. Y'all can do that. You can talk to anybody you want to or talk to nobody at all. But I just want you to know, I, I got to do this. I said, and then this is where we're sitting. This is what we're going to do. These are the songs I've chosen. This is who's singing, you know, all the stuff. Your pastors are going to be there. Their youth pastors were there. We've got some cues for your friends. It was filled up. With the three, four, right behind the pallbearers were all their boyfriends. And I said, um, and this part gets me every time. I said, but I'm going to meet you on the other side. I said, I will meet you on the other side. And that is exactly what, if someone asked me what I'm most proud of in my life, that is it. I don't do it perfectly, but we're, we're in it. We're in it to win it together. My son's turned 18 and 20 in uh, April of 2022. And I swear I have a visual of me being like a sloth, like climbing over the finish line. Not because I'm done, but just because, you know, they can go to war now, right? You know, you're 18, go to war. You can vote. Hey. But I just, I, if you, if anybody would have told me I would have made it there, I would have said, absolutely not. I am dying. I'm dying from pain. I am dying from disappointment. I am dying from financial destruction. I am dying from exhaustion. But yeah, they, they're there. They'll be uh, 19 and 21 in April. I just love them. They're just so great. I'm an empty nester for the first time. It's so great. So if anybody's like, oh, I don't want to be an empty nester, I'm not your girl to ask to, to share a story. Like, call your other friends. It's great. I love it. I have one that goes to the University of Georgia. He's a junior, so I don't, he doesn't come home that often, but there's one that lives here and he stops by all the time. I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, I paid your rent. Go over there. No, I'm kidding. I'd love to see. But I just want you to know that that's that. As I close out, I want to get to um, one of my fourth and final. It is my fourth and final never so far. Like, talk to me next week. I'll have a few more. 
But um, I actually left working at the treatment facility. I was working after six years to help families in private practice only. It was going great. Um, I got a call from someone in Texas that I did their family program years ago. And I, you know, you never know how you impact people. And he asked if I would come visit it, the facility that he had started, and then asked if I wanted to come out there. And I was like, absolutely not. I've got two kids. Because the reason I tell you this, I've lived so careful for so long. I've lived so white knuckled, so cautious. I do not take risk. I'm scared to risk. There's so much pain. There's so much disappointment. There's all this. I thought about it. And I was like, okay, I can go out there once a month. But I'm going to tell you, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of everything. I, I just still am. I'm afraid something's going to happen to me and they're not going to be there. I'm afraid I'm going to be in Texas. They're going to need me. Just the list goes on. You know, I'm afraid, I've got a codependent dog. What's he going to do? You know, I mean, just all the stuff. Um, but I just said yes. I started saying yes. And I will say it's only been about a year ago, going into my seventh year of not living with an active alcoholic or addict, that I started saying yes. So start saying yes. Anyway, so I go out there. Once a month, and I tell stories every every single month. I get to tell my story in a different way. So every month, I get to honor Walt Aldrin, and I get to honor the gifts that he gave me and my children. And I would never be the person I am today because of that pain. Just is it's really just I, I don't like it. I avoid it at all costs. But it's just the best teacher. I want you to know that I I, I don't know if I have a very favorite scripture, but one of my very favorites and my go-to in so much is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has come. The the old has gone. The new has come. It is one of my favorite scriptures. It just reminds me that, you know, who, what I turn from is as, as, as important as who and what I turn to in each and every season. Every season. And God is always creating something new. And like I said, I just, you know, I would prefer, can we just do safe and, you know, check the boxes? You know, don't do all that crazy stuff. Like, when, But I, I, I am literally today just living, living a life full of yes and opportunity. And I didn't believe it would come. There was a dark season to come there. So as I close, um, I want to share with you something that happened to me in August when I went to that retreat. It's at the Oaks. And I don't know, you fly into San Diego, but you're up in a mountain somewhere. And one night they offered yoga and uh, it was on the tennis courts. And again, I don't like exercise, but Bob and Maria were golf were doing yoga. I was like, oh, well, then I'm going to do yoga, right? Anyway, it was amazing. And uh, at the end of the yoga, Stephanie is her name. She led us in yoga. Uh, she played the song, So Will I, by Hillsong. And the stars up there in the mountains of California, wherever I was, were just, it was a beautiful, clear night. And then all of a sudden I saw three shooting stars. And I just thought, Walt and Jesus up there saying, hey, watch this. Let's send one for Walt. I mean, let's send one for Hope and let's send one for Parrish and let's send one for Porter. Let's cheer her on. Let's show her that keep saying yes because of these opportunities. And then I, I've actually got some of the lyrics of the song that I wrote down. I just love that song. And it says, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. Every burning star, a, a signal fire of grace. If your creation sings your praises, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love.
So I hope you hear the love and I hope you leave feeling hope. I learned that there was an acronym for hope called hold on pain ends, hold on pain ends. And I just love that. I promise you the pain will, I will be in pain again. It may be today. I have no idea. I have no idea, but I can tell you that, that there, there are people who are either in your shoes, have been in your shoes. You find those people and you dig your heels in and you ask God one minute at a time, help me to let go, help me to let God and, and then trust the process and start saying yes, because it's good stuff. I love how the Lord just gave Hope that beautiful moment and the shooting stars and how she tied that back to her husband and and giving us the acronym Hold On Pain Ends. And we've actually linked the song by Hillsong in our show notes. So will I. And for me personally, just how the Lord was so sweet to allow her to be in the room when her husband passed. And just that beautiful picture that her boys were able to see them say, I love you Mm -hmm. to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, Robin, you spoke about just her being so real and vulnerable. I appreciate that so much with her because I'm sure it was a very hard story for her to relive and talk about. You know, for me, I just think, I think the idea, first of all, letting go of control of those that you love and trying to hide it from everybody and Mm -hmm. and all of that. But then also this idea of, you know, if you're a caregiver, whether it's to an addict or someone who's sick, the importance of taking care of yourself first and how, how her friend, you know, kind of spoke that, that over her as well. You know, we've had a lot of addiction stories over the years, and we know that you as listeners, this is one of our most requested topics always. Absolutely. Because it's so common. Everyone knows someone that has been affected. And so as you listen to this, we hope that you find some solace in what Hope walked through. She was so raw and real and talking about how she lost herself to try and keep her family together. One of the things that I didn't recognize until listening to her story is as an addict's wife or a spouse of an addict, you're fighting too. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, here her husband was fighting, but she was fighting as well. And I just never saw it from that Mm -hmm. perspective. I think that's what's so enlightening about Hope's story is just seeing from a spouse's perspective what it's looked like to protect your children, to keep it all together. There's so much in protecting our children. I think we could talk about that forever and not mm-hmm. wanting them to to see, see what's happening. And you're holding the house together and you're keeping it all together yeah. and you're working and you're doing all these various things so that you she does lose herself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she she loses who she is in order to make sure everything is taken care of. And how sweet of the Lord to meet her in those moments to say, you don't have to do this. And, and right. I think we would be remiss to not mention the fact that God can bring beauty from ashes in that he took the hard that she had walked through and now she is able to be a comfort to others as well and help mm-hmm. others who are walking through this. Well, and just her encouragement to say, say yes to things like the Lord truly has brought her all the way through and and provided that healing. And now she's saying, okay, Lord, I know you have something else for me. I love that. Yeah, it's like he's taking her on a new adventure and giving her, I don't want to say a second chance at life, but he is giving her a part two. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh Yeah. And to know, again, going back to hold on, pain ends. Mm -hmm. That's where she ended her story. And it's a perfect way to end right now is, is knowing that life can be difficult. Mm -hmm. We can all walk through very challenging things. And yet God meets us 
right there. The pain does end and we will end up on the other side. It's such a story of hope and encouragement. So thank you for listening today. This is a story that I think you can definitely pass along to friends. I know that we will probably have requests. Y'all reach out to us at info at storytellerslive.org. If you want more information, Hope uh, is very willing to share and give her wisdom, you know, on her Instagram page and various places as an addictions counselor. And we just want to encourage any listeners, any of you that are struggling or that are finding yourself in this story to, to reach out for help. There are women and people everywhere willing to help in this story with addiction. So thanks for listening. Have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Bye.